Welcome to the SJBC Sunday Morning Sermon. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by our senior pastor, Dr. Richard Carver. For more podcasts, videos, and information on our church, please visit mysjbc.org. All right, we got a new series this morning about discovering life. Uh, this will be about a six-part series, just to kind of give you some idea of where we'll be going. And I uh, began working and preparing uh, some biblical approaches to teaching and understanding to how, as Christian people, we can respond to this transgender movement that's prevailing across our land. And so, uh, I'm working on doing research now. I've got a couple of books that I'm reading. Uh, are beginning to read that will help guide me, but just so you know, uh, we're going to deal with this as a church because we need to help our children and grandchildren in this, particularly our young ladies, because the, the movement is targeting them. But after this series, we'll be launching off into that. And then also Wednesday evenings, we're in Romans. Uh, hopefully we'll wrap up very soon. And then uh, David Jeremiah has come out with a new book called 31 Signs. I don't know if you seen it or not, and it's 31 signs about uh, the coming rapture and the coming of uh, Armageddon, really, and, uh, and we're going to do that on Wednesday evenings, uh, hopefully in about six weeks or so, but just to give you some idea of where we're going. This morning, we're thinking about discovering life in this first sermon in the series out of uh, Mark chapter 8, page 820 there in the two Bible, is about discovering uh, real life, and we, we want to know the truth. And the truth is that, that I am convicted and I'm convinced that God has wired us for mission. We, our lives are not just to be lived uh, day in, day out, just kind of going with the flow, but we are to live intentionally with reason and with purpose. And that includes us as a congregation and us as a church. And I'm convinced and I'm uh, committed to the understanding that South Jefferson Baptist Church is situated on this corner for a reason. We have a mission. And yes, this is probably one of the toughest communities in Louisville. As I talk with pastors that minister in other areas of Louisville, what's going on in our community around us is not much different than what's going on everywhere else. Uh, you saw last week we had someone shot in their car just down the street uh, from the church there on Dixie Highway. So that type of violence is in our community. But so are we. There are lost people all around us. You know, the, the, the problems in Texas are that there's an absence of Jesus. And I've mourned the loss of those children. And my heart goes out to those families. That's an awful way to end the day to find out that there's been a mass shooting like that. But the problem is that there's an absence of Jesus. I mean, we have completely extracted him from everywhere in our public life that we can. And any time you remove Jesus, Satan sees that as an opportunity. He's going to move right in. And these unfortunate events that are heartbreaking, they're because Satan is prevailing because we push Jesus out. That's right. You know, there's almost no religious impact or influence in the South End. Yes, there are churches here. But most churches in our community are staying within their walls. And it's not just our church, it's churches all across America that we want to feel safe and we want to feel secure and we know that it's safe and secure inside here and so we kind of force ourselves to look in. Poverty, drug use, 
It is prevalent in the homes around us. Drug uh, abuse of spouses and of children, it's all around us. In 2012, there was a, a group of individuals came through, and, and I've, I've shared this before, but anyone that was out on the street, they gave a hit of heroin to in this community and, and all around us. And there was a young lady met us in the foyer one day and, and said, I'm going to have a relapse if I don't get out of here. If I don't get, so she asked Stephanie and I to take her to Our Lady of Mercy, and we did. And on the way there, that's when I learned about all this. This was like in 2013 or 2014 that we took her, and she was one of the individuals that they walked up to. I'm sorry, her sister was one of the individuals that, that was out on the street just walking, and he gave her a hit of heroin or a point of heroin. And, and she took that point and then gave some to her sister. And she told us about how the culture around here had changed. And she told me, she said, the only reason I go to Walmart is so I can steal something. So that I can sell it. The only reason I come to your church is so that I can find something to steal so I can sell it. I mean, that's our community. But still, it's ours. These people are our spiritual responsibility. One day we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an accounting for how well we have carried out the mission on this corner. I'm glad that we're here. We're a beacon of, of hope and, and light trying to make God famous in this community. And, and as, as I look at you, I mean, we got Cadillacs and we got Volkswagens and you're Cadillacs. I mean, you really are. You're wonderful people. Wonderful hearts. Some of the most giving people I've ever ever ministered with. I mean, whenever there's a need, it's like your pocketbooks just jump out of your purses and your pockets. and You're willing to meet almost any need. We've paid for eye surgeries. We've paid for false teeth. We've paid for rants. We've done all sorts of things as people to meet needs instantaneously. There are people come by looking for food. And you've taken them to the grocery store or taken them to the gas station. So you're the cream of the crop. You're good people. We're good. We're a good church. We're a healthy church. And I'm grateful for that. But we're healthy for a reason. And the reason is so that we can go out there. And we have to. We have to. Valley Station is not an easy place to answer God's call. And yet here we are. You know, you're not here by accident. It's not an accident that you're in this room. It's not an accident that you worship in this place. I mean, it's God's design. It's not an accident that you're hearing this message today. God knew a bazillion years ago that you would be in this room and I'll be standing up here and that we would be discussing this topic of discovering real life out of Mark chapter 8. Just not an accident. We need to pay attention. And when I think about our church and I think about how the community around us changed so much so quickly in the last few years, we're really on the front lines of mission. Our mission field is no different than some of the places in Africa or in China or Korea. It's just as dangerous here as it is there. They're just as lost here as they, they are there. And God could have placed anyone here. He could have put any church on this corner. But he did. God put this church here. When I say this church, I don't mean this building. The building is not the church. Right now, the church are these people that's in the pew and the people watching us on Facebook Live. That's the church. 
If this place was to burn down to the ground, if the tornado was to hit it, wipe it off the face of the earth, South Jefferson Baptist Church would continue to exist because it's the people. It's not the stuff. We think that this is the stuff. It tickles me because we say we're going to go to church. We don't go to church. You are the church. Wherever you are, that's where church is. Because South Jefferson Baptist Church, we leave this room and we're still South Jefferson. We're still South Jefferson Baptist Church in our homes, in our workplaces, in our when we're doing our shopping and our banking and doing all the things that we do. And, and God could put anybody here, but He put us. You ever wonder why? You know, it takes a particular kind of people to minister in a particular kind of environment. I don't know if I can see that fly, but if I get a chance, I'm going to match the cut that. Because it's trying to get on my face. And if it gets close enough, you see me do that. I'm not getting excited, I'm just getting the fly. So, but I am excited. Because this is an important message. You know, an easy life is, is it's safe. It's safe to do easy ministry. But ultimately, it's boring and it's empty. You get to the end of the day and you ask the question, that we really do anything? Do we really accomplish anything? And that's one of the things I love about Jesus. When you read the story of Jesus, there are times in Scripture when he's so nice and kind and compassionate. Healing people, restoring sight, feeding people, preaching the Word, doing good things. And then you turn around and he can issue a challenge that the challenge is so like breathtaking that it cuts to the core of our being. And that's really what we have in this morning's message. It's one of those challenges where Jesus is not fooling around. I mean, man, he just goes right straight to the point. It almost takes our breath to hear what he has to say because the challenge is so compelling. We read here about the greatest challenge really that was ever conceived, and it's in verse 34. But we're going to read a longer passage. Verse 34 says, Whoever wants to be my disciple. And that's a want. You want to be. You don't have to be. Whoever wants to be. You know where that want to comes from? You feel it. There's a tug in you that draws you to wanting to serve the king. It, it, it pulls you like a Faithful to a magnet, it just draws it. it pulls us along. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. I don't know about you, but every time I, I read this verse, it just kind of stops me in my tracks. Because if I want to be, then some things are going to happen if I want to be. And, it, and it's kind of like it's just in your face. It's kind of an all or nothing proposition. If you want to be my disciple, there's three things you got to do. If we're going to claim the name of Christian and really live it, and I hope that we do as a church and as individuals, then this is one of the key verses that we're going to have to wrestle with. So let's take a look at this passage together. A long reading from Mark chapter 8, verse 27, page 820 there in your pew Bible. <clears throat> Jesus and his disciples went on... <clears throat> If it comes up here by you, y'all smash it. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. 
On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? Not in here, but out there. And they replied, <clears throat> Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, Paul, you're the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. <clears throat> He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. When Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called to the crowd, <clears throat> then he called the crowd along to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory, his Father's glory with the holy angels. <clears throat> I'm sorry. My allergies. If you look at this passage just right, I hope that you will. I hope that you recognize that <clears throat> this passage represents a fork in the road. It's a point and a place of decision that, that Jesus has given us some very astonishing information, given us some proofs. He's called someone Satan. And, and I mean, a lot is happening here. But what he's really done is he's put a fork out in front of us. You can go to the right or you can go to the left, but you can't do both. Because the farther you go right, the farther you get from the left. The farther you go left, the farther you get from right, it's important. They get farther from each other. So you got to make a choice. And once you make that choice, that's pretty much the path that you're on. And, and the followers of Jesus, they see this fork in the road. I mean, it, it's clear to them. Jesus has laid down a point in time of decision. And they want to take it. They want to go down the, the part of the fork that Jesus wants them to go down. And, you know, we may want it both ways. But Jesus reminds us that we can only take one part of the fork and, and not both. And they're in the, <clears throat> the, the city of Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus asked, who do these people out here in Caesarea Philippi say that I am? He wants to know what the people out there are talking about. What are they saying about? How are they responding to his message? And when he asked them, the disciples share what the common folk are saying about Jesus, and it's, it's good things. I mean, it's things that you would want to be said about you if you were an itinerant minister trying to bring the kingdom uh, to this earth and sharing the things that were being said about him out on the street. And Jesus received that and, and said, you know, that's great. But then he begins to indicate that there's a fork. And he asks another question, follow-up. Who do they say I am? And then he looks and says, Who do you say I am? That's a fair question. 
If I'm going to be a leader, politicians do it all the time. They want to know what the people out there in the field, so they do polls to find out what people are saying about it. Are they following my agenda? Do I need to make some tweaks here or there? And so politicians do it all the time. But then they also turn to their cohorts and say, where are we at? Want to make sure that they're in line with it. So Jesus is doing a similar thing. Want to get everybody on the same page. But he hones in on his disciples and asks them the second question. It's really a challenge. Who do you say that I am? Now Peter thinks he's got the answer. I mean, his hand shoots up in the air. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, I know, I know, I know. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. Because he thinks he's got the right answer. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. But Jesus starts to lay down the fork in the road there in verse 31. There are three phrases that should have stuck out to you. And we skip over because we're thinking that's for missionaries. That's for people in dangerous countries, in dangerous places. But these are people in Caesarea Philippi. This was a wealthy seaport city. All the comforts of the world at that time. It would be a great place to live. He said, you must suffer many things. You must be rejected. And you're going to be killed. Now, if answering the call of ministry back in 1992, if someone said, you're going to be killed, I probably would not have gone to seminary. In all truth. Because who nobody wants to get killed. I mean, we don't want to suffer many things, and we don't want to be rejected either. But, but we're told in verse 32 that he spoke directly and candidly about these things. Jesus wasn't kidding. I mean, up to this point in, in Mark's gospel, when they when, when they hear you are the Christ, they think of power and success. He's the Messiah, that he's successful. But now Jesus is, is turning the tables. And he begins to talk about vulnerability. Failure, even injury. And he tells them that all of this must happen. The suffering, the rejection, the death. Do you really want to follow that kind of Messiah? That's a fork in the road. If you're going to stay on my path, if you're going to continue to follow me, this is where we're headed. It's not going to be easy to be my disciple. When you get out there and you start knocking on doors and you start missing people, they're going to reject you. When you get out there and you start knocking on doors and you start witnessing to people and start sharing the gospel with them, you might even get pushed or shoved. You might be injured. When I was about 12 years old, my youth director at the time uh, would have us go make visits in the neighborhood behind the church. It's the first time I ever encountered this is I went up and I knocked on the door. It's a true story. I went up and knocked on the door and whoever was behind the door only opened the door about that far, but they stuck out a double barrel shotgun side by side. And they stuck out that barrel right out the door and said, I don't want it. And I had to go back to church, back to the building, because I had messed my drawers. But that person was serious. They didn't want anything to do with you. When we were hanging and taking the gospel at every home, I had a, a similar encounter. I went and hung the, the thing on the door, and I left the person's property out in the driveway, and they come running out of the house with the bag in hand. It's 
said, what is it? I said, well, we're inviting people to learn some things about Jesus, inviting them to church, and he kind of shoved it towards me and said, I don't want that. Okay. You don't have to have it. And he walked back up into his house. Some of that happens. Some of that happens. He tells them that these things must happen. That's the point of the road. I'm, what I'm trying to do is be as honest as I can. We find ourselves at that place almost every day. Right here on this corner. But then Jesus turns up the heat. And he's serious. If you want to be his disciple, and he wants you to be his disciple, he wants us to follow him. But this, he issues a, a call and a challenge that's for ordinary people living ordinary lives. Everyday people, just like us. And this call is for, for whoever, meaning that there are no exceptions. Whoever wants to be my disciple, here's what you have to do. Jesus is talking about real life, about new life. Here's what you've got to do to be his disciple. And so he challenges the myth of comfort. And whoever wants to be my disciple first has to deny themselves. And first glance, that sounds kind of unhealthy. To deny yourself. I mean, I, I like eating. I like being outside. But he says you're going to deny yourself. It doesn't mean that you can never enjoy the simple pleasures of life. This call it to denial, it's really more basic than that. He's challenging us to deny ourselves. He's talking about the old nature. See, we come to Christ, we accept Christ our Savior and Lord. And, and let me back up just a little bit. When I say Christ's disciple, that's someone who's already given their heart and life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So Jesus is talking to save people. He's not talking to lost people. A lost person first needs to accept Christ as Savior and Lord. Then they can be the disciple. So Jesus is telling these believers, these disciples, you got to deny your old nature, the flesh. Now the lost person doesn't have to do that. But the same person does. Stephanie and I went on a walk yesterday. And we came around again and popped up over a little hill. And there were four young men. And one of the guys had a black jacket on him. And the back of his jacket had a church of Satan symbol. You know where Satan is seated has the goat head with the horns and the pentagram and all that search stuff on his jacket. And they had dreadlocks and long hairs. And a, they were walking a pit bull and a German shepherd. And they kind of like came up like right beside us as we were walking. I told Stephanie, holy cow, walk faster. <laughs> <laughs> holy cow. We want to run, don't we? But Jesus says, you got to deny the old flesh. I told Stephanie, I said, I wonder if they're hooligans. Or some word to that effect. She said, you don't know. They might be good Satanists. <laughs> and I guess there could be well-behaved Satanists. I don't know. But when I think about Satanists, I don't think about well-behaved people. Or And, you know, they did just have that look. And we were walking like at 8 o'clock in the morning. I thought it would be safe. You wouldn't run anybody that was like cuckoo. Because the cuckoo people stay up late. You know, and they're not up that early in the morning. But they were out early. He says it. The old nature is a part of us that wants the easy life, that wants easy ministry, that, that looks for ministry that we can do that really doesn't require a lot of investment. 
doesn't require a lot of energy. I mean, we want to, we just want to do it easy. We want to do it easy. It's a part of us that rebels against God's glory. Sometimes we even run away from God. And we can act like really the most righteous, church-going people until somebody pushes up against our comfort zone. And then we don't like it. You better look out. I tried to change lanes Friday. And it was raining Friday. And almost always, 9% of the time, turn my turn signal on and look before I change lanes. But I was on an unfamiliar road, and I realized I was in the wrong lane. I needed to get over pretty quickly. And so I didn't look. I nearly bumped into a, a Nissan truck, black truck. The man jumped out of his truck. You know what the first thing I, we did was? Look at his hands. He got a gun. Isn't it crazy to think like this? And so he comes to my car in a very aggressive manner. And I got my hands up saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We didn't actually make contact. But we almost did. You could not have put a piece of paper between our cars. I mean, it was that close. We want it easy. When somebody does something that messes up our comfort zone, we want to get out, retaliate, tell people to go away. When Jesus told us to deny ourselves, he was saying, say no to yourself. He's saying, say no to your flesh. And every time the flesh has a craving to indulge in self, Jesus says, just renounce it. Don't, don't do it. Now, that's tough work because the flesh inside of us is strong and it's active and it's there every day. And it's pestering us every day. And even in our best, there's going to be battles going on even for Christians like us, even for Cadillacs like you. There are times when it's tough. It's hard to deny ourselves. And, but there are some steps that we can take to recognize this persistence of our flesh. I mean, it's there when we rage at another, another driver. We were on the way to worship this morning, and a guy in a little gray car turned right on the street near us and did not use her turn signal, but brake and turned, broke, you know, and turned right. The car behind him did not like that they didn't use her turn signal. And so I, we didn't hear, but apparently he honked his horn like, you know, it wasn't like a th -th -th, it was like a th you know, one of those long horn honks. Well, the guy that made the turn didn't like it, and he slammed on his brakes right at the intersection. The car behind the car that honked the horn went to turn in there and almost hit that car because he had stopped because he was mad at the car honking him. Our world is nuts. It's just nuts. We get up to the next intersection. The honking car who was mad over him not using the turn signal, he turned right and didn't use his turn signal. <laughs> he didn't use his turn signal. He was honking him for our world. That's us. You know where the car turned off to go into? Church. <laughs> I won't name the church, but it was a church that's in Mount Washington. The car turned to go into church. I thought, oh, that's a Christian. You know, that flesh sometimes, it comes out. And we want to honk our horn. But don't you tell me I can use my turn signal. you got to use yours. I'll use mine when I want. See, it's essential for us that we're open and we're asking and seeking the direction of the Holy Spirit. Asking God what to do. And that's why we have to constantly be walking in the Spirit. See, we want to honk at other people, but go sing worship songs, listen to preaching. But Jesus commands us 
or his command is to do that. So how do we take up our cross? Now, we think about taking up our cross and dealing with mean people. But taking up our cross doesn't necessarily mean putting up with difficult people, nor does it mean that we should add more suffering to our lives or let people mistreat us. That's not what he's talking about here. Everyone in Jesus' day knew what the cross meant. It was a place of torture and torment and sacrifice. And, and when you look up your cross, or take up your cross, it meant that you were going to be ridiculed and persecuted for your faith. And to be our Lord's friend meant that you could get in trouble. Same is true today. Being our Lord's friend could put you into a difficult situation, difficult circumstances. And Jesus is showing us that the Christian life is not always a safe life, and it's not without risk. And so he wants it to be, and that's what I love about the Bible. The Bible tells us what we can expect from God and what he expects from us. And Jesus is telling us, listen, if you want to be, South Jefferson, if you want to be an intentional church, if you want to live the real life, it's not always going to be easy. And he's letting us know up front, going in, but it's going to be worthwhile. It's going to be worthwhile. We spend an enormous amount of energy trying to be safe Christians, doing safe ministry. You know, I'm not talking about just South Jefferson, I mean Christians in general. We try to do safe ministry that doesn't require too much or disrupt our preferences too much. I mean, we kill germs, set alarms, buckle up, wear helmets, and protect our families from bullies. However, if we want to follow Jesus, you might get hurt. You might get killed. But that's not the worst thing that could happen. In Luke chapter 21, verse 16, Jesus says, You will be betrayed by your mom and dad. Brothers and sisters. Relatives, which would be your first cousins. And friends. That's pretty much everybody you know. <laughs> your mom and dad, your brothers and sisters, people you know and your cousins. I mean, that's Pretty much everybody. They're going to betray you. Hmm. And some of them will put you to death. Jesus and some of us are going to get killed. Well, who's the killer? Your parents, your brothers and sisters, your friends, or your cousins? Because of our faith. You have to ascension, every Christ follower knew that they might have to testify at the cost of their life, that they could be brought in before the Sanhedrin or anybody else and, and give testimony of their faith. And for them, they understood that they might have to die for their faith, or maybe not, but that there was no guarantee of safety. Honestly, today, we Christians are, are we're a little whiny. We're a little whiny. We're, we're a little lazy. When someone threatens our safety or our beliefs are criticized, we want to whine. When ministry calls for a little effort, we complain. When non-believers who visit our campus act like non-believers, we get impatient with them. Man, they're acting how they, all they know how to act. When we turn our ministry opportunity to the possibility of routing us or risking us. I read a story about a man who felt God calling him to the mission field. And so he was going to go to the mission field in a foreign country and and he happened to watch a program about insects in that foreign country. And it, it turns out that in that country there's an insect that lays its larva under human skin. And it's quite painful. 
And so he didn't go on the mission field because he might get a bug under his skin. To which Jesus said, take up your cross. That has real life parallels. You know, Stephanie and I, when we minister to kids in our community, I'm grateful for what WMU led us to do at Watson Lane when we were over there, which that was great. We had 14 of us ministering to that community. And this is awful to say, but there was one family that was quite dirty, hadn't made in a while. Not because they didn't want to, but probably because they couldn't afford to, or didn't have the luxury of soap and shampoo. And they were quite smelly. And one of those young people reached over and grabbed my hand because they wanted a particular color balloon. So I got them the balloon. I'm ashamed to say it. You know what I thought? What if I got a bit of a I did. That was the thought that went in my mind. And I thought, shame on you, preacher. Shame on you. But I thought it. I'm confessing my sins to you right now. That's what I thought. When that little girl let go of my hand, I thought, oh my, where's the hand sanitizer? Because I got a bit of Shame. Jesus said, you might get hurt. You might get hurt. Jesus isn't always going to be safe or control. That's the problem Peter has in this passage. He thinks he has, that he's in control and that Jesus should line up behind him. And for the disciples, Jesus, the Messiah, the Liberator, the Savior, but he has these crazy ideas about what the Messiah is supposed to do, and so somebody has to help Jesus. And so Peter says, I'm going to help you, Jesus. I'm going to help you. And Peter steps up, and this passage tells us that Peter began to rebuke Jesus. But Jesus listens to Peter as he's rebuking him, and Jesus spoke pretty clearly in verse 31, but now he's just plain old blunt. Peter rebukes Jesus, and Jesus turned and looked directly at Peter in the face. It says, get behind me, Satan. Wow. <laughs> Jesus meant, nope, you line up behind me. I do not get line behind you. You line up behind me. You, you, you got this wrong, Peter. You're the follower. I'm the leader. You're getting out of line. Or trying to, and I'm not going to let you. Then he added, you don't have the mind of God. Oh. Not only are you acting like Satan, but you don't even think the way God thinks about people in the world. And the essence of Christianity isn't following a list of rules or being born into the right family. Living the Christian life boils down to those first ideas that Jesus gave to his followers. And they're this. Jesus said, follow me. That means that we get in line behind him. That we don't get out in front of Jesus and say, hey Jesus, we're not going to do this. We ask him where he's going, where he's working, and we follow him. See, being a Christian is just doing what Jesus says. And when Jesus says things like, love your enemies, or do not store for yourselves treasures in heaven, but on earth, or on earth, or don't worry about your life, or love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, those aren't ideas. 
They're our best way of life. And Jesus is serious. See, this is not wimpy Christianity. It's real deal Christianity. Why would anyone in their right mind want to sign up to follow Jesus? I mean, this challenge is the challenge of, of, for life. And honestly, it, it kind of puts fear in our hearts. And, and Jesus anticipates our resistance. So he heads off, heads us off of the path. Notice what it says in verses 35 and 37. This passage talks about joy and reward. See, God wants to give us real life, give you real life. Life that matters, life that leaves a legacy. If we call ourselves Christians, we avoid and avoid the call. The truth is we can't ignore the challenge of living and doing ministry. In a tough place. This is a tough place. And I'm grateful that I pastor a bunch of Pine Knot Christians. Because y'all are tough people. You gotta be. Because you're doing it here. I want us to just do it more. Do it more often. Do it more prayer covered. Do it more sacrificial. Do it more intentionally. Because folks, the problems that we have in our world are here because churches are not. They're keeping us there. Can you imagine how much glory, how famous we could make God, how much glory we could bring God if we stay by the stuff and are successful? We're going to see him invitation. This chapter comes. This is the first in this series. And I really want to challenge you. I really want to push us as a church. I'm hungry to leave a legacy. I'm hungry to, that, that we as a church matter to the kingdom. I want people just to drive by here. I remember that. One day early on, I was walking through the neighborhood back here and uh, met someone who lived there for like 30 years. <clears throat> and I said, I'm the pastor of the church on the corner. And they asked me, what's the name of it? I said, what do you mean, what's the name of it? You drive past it going home every day. You're turning at the corner. There's a great big old sign out there. What's the name of it? Of course, I told them South Jefferson Baptist Church. It was a husband and wife. They were both on their porch. And they said, oh yeah, I think I heard of that. <laughs> we got to do better. Not for us. But for him. Let's give it to